I'm still wondering why the player is not showing up when I go to visit the site. Uh, I'll work on that. I just wonder if it's me or something on the back end. Okay. All right, people. You guys ready to do this stuff? If you aren't, it is tough noise because we're ready. Here we go. What right does a man have to rule another? I think it's so bad, ladies and gentlemen, that if I invented a particular device, pretty soon I'd have to get a permit from the state to use my own product. You cannot get rid of tyranny by fighting tyrants for a very good reason. Tyranny doesn't exist independently of something else, which is more important. There is a something else which has to be defined before you know what tyranny is. What's that? It's opposite. Prison. They are not independent of each other. These are not two different things which are at opposite ends of the pole. They are one thing of which the one is a negation of the other. They say, why don't you get into politics? You know, why don't you try to run for office? Then you can create change. You don't create change when you're in office. They tell you what to do. This is how we create change, by getting this information out to the masses. We can do more in one year than someone can sitting in office for eight years. Together they can break us, we are strong. Divide us and the road leads to destruction. Don't you fall a prey to Babylon. They want to pull us all in different directions. So they take you from the root and teach you their own truth. Open up your mind, please don't you be so blind. I'm not in it for the fame, I'm in it for the love. When it's all said and done, we're more than blood. Good evening and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. That's it. We're in it for the love, people. And to rise above the rhetoric and the nonsense that we experience on a day-to-day basis. It is podcast number 124, uh, since we started labeling these things. And uh, joining me, as usual, is um, Josh Wiley of statelesshomesteading.com. What's going on, Josh? Not a whole lot. That hasn't been updated since, like, mid-January, but, hey, life happens sometimes. Oh, yeah, that uh, that silly thing called life. I should have checked your levels. You're not pegging too high. Hold on. I gotta pull you down just a hair. I'm pulling you down a notch, Josh. What do you think you, of that? You'll have to redo it all when I uh, when I fix up the old uh, Hackintosh, anyways, and I can start <laughs> using the the good mic again. <laughs> well, I mean, you will be up in the in the great uh, in the great beyond, so that will be um, that'll be interesting. I um, we'll talk about it sometime in the future podcast of what you're doing and, and some of the other things that are going on well, in your world, unless you want to engage I'm, now. I, on that note, though, I am definitely going to pick up uh, a dedicated mic that works on the Linux system, just in case. Okay, so we don't have any more hiccups. Well, yours truly was an absolute uh, audio, um, what's the best word here, novice? Neophyte. Yeah, there we go. I left the stream on while I was recording, and so I couldn't understand why I was getting this gigantic feedback that kept getting louder and louder, except for the fact that it was coming through my microphone and broadcasting out. So there you go. And it kept doing it over and over and over again. And now I'm having um, modulation on my mic. I can see it. I can see it in the stream. Hold on. I don't know what causes that at all, but maybe putting this a little bit closer to my mouth will do us some good. So, no, it keeps looks like it's ducking again. Oh well, that's what. Uh, that's why we can, you know, get in there and level everything out. Ah, man, it does look like it's ducking a little bit. This is really odd. Oh well. If you guys can hear us out there, we are live and um, doing some changes on the fly. Evidently, this stuff does not happen. Until we're like live on air, and then it just starts to dwindle and get really kind of wonky on me. So, well, let me pick up some gain here a little bit. There we go. All right, maybe I hit something. No, see, now we're clipping. All right, screw it. On to the show. I would, I would not worry and power through it because it sounds fine on my end. Well, okay, great. Well, the the recording looks it's all over the place. I mean, I'm looking at the waves, and it's like. 
Uh, it's like a tsunami one minute and then uh, like gulf gulf waves the next. Anyway, yeah, well, well, as long as we don't sound like an overmodulated like uh, telemarketer at, <laughs> at any point, I think we can get away with it. So, what do you want? I mean, I told you a few things that I wanted to talk about. Um, what do you? What's top of your mind, man? Well, right now I'm just thinking uh, about the, our intellectual property debate from the other evening, but. Uh, there, there's a whole lot going on. I mean, you'd mentioned that you wanted to bring up, you wanted to talk about Brussels. Okay. We both obviously That's... see some Gladio connections. Oh there, but... well, since you say that, this jumped out at me uh, listening to No Agenda. It was a really weird clip that they they thought it was odd, but um, get ready for the Mario coin people because um, they are abound in this one. Here we go. The second is Ibrahim El Bakrawi. He was reportedly arrested in Turkey last June. A month later, he was deported, according to the Turkish president. Even Holland is involved in this issue. On the attacker's request, we reported him to Holland. And we have formed them with a diplomatic note, too. That was not the right clip. What the heck just happened? Oh, man, I clipped the wrong thing. Oh, well. Hold on. I think I might have clipped the wrong thing, Josh. All right. Well, that. Well, what I was trying to get to was in the no agenda clip, and I'll go ahead and try to search for it on here while we're chatting. There was a brief uh, discussion regarding regarding the events that went down in Brussels, and it, they talked about how this gentleman was. I guess there was a there was a raid that happened a couple of months before all this stuff went down in um, in Brussels, and it was about these uh, Islamists that are linked up with these uh, terrorist groups, but um, they're friends from like the past, kind of like their their childhood, and they don't have any direct connections with any kind of ISIS or terror related group, and nor did they uh, display tendencies, and so the red flags start going off in my mind. And then what happens is they get into this uh, situation where there's a raid. Uh, everybody's shot and killed except for this one guy that seems like that he's uh, somewhat affiliated but not really. And he um, he jumps out the window, Josh. And he gets away from the cops. Much like our boy Daryl that was always getting away from the cops. When, um, and the doc says I got to quit smoking weed, guys. <laughs> Doctor's orders. <laughs> doctor's orders, man. Doctor's Doc- orders. Doctor Fed. So um, I'm going to try to find these clips really quick, or this one clip at least. Um, Josh, so what do you um, what do you make of the Brussels thing? Because what I'm trying to find is this clip that'll tie everything together. Uh, when this first happened, you and I both thought Gladio immediately. Um, why would you think Gladio? And it turns out that the guy that did the uh, the bombing was living like right next to the uh, the European Union, like a couple of blocks down. Kind of mm. convenient. It's, uh, to be honest, I haven't really followed this story that much, just because I'm, it sounds terrible. But I've become so desensitized to this stuff, especially if it if it's in Europe and it involves uh, supposed Islamofascists anymore, I just automatically think Gladio. So, I mean, at some point, the, it, this stuff might start happening organically, uh, and, and uh, you know, it'll kind of become a self-perpetuating cycle. But I haven't really followed the specifics solely because the, the Gladio connection to Paris that we discussed earlier on the show is so abundantly clear it, the the motive and, and the modus operandi of Gladio, of course, is false flag terror uh, uh, to be blamed on communists. That was actually carried out by right wing fascists in order to promote the greater aims of the security state. And now they're just using Islamo fascists in place of the fascists, and it's the same program. Bel- uh, Belgium, of course, excuse me, is one of the two countries, Italy being the other one, to actually prosecute any Gladios and uh, from the original Gladio A program. And uh, it, it, not so coincidentally, briefly, at, very shortly after they did, did that in the late 80s and early 1990s was when the flood of uh, immigrants from uh, the Middle East, North Africa began in earnest. 
So to me, it, it's just the historical continuity is so obvious it doesn't even warrant discussing. <laughs> but well, I think for people it, who don't know about it, it it's, it's very interesting, yeah. Oh, let me see if this is the uh, if this is the clip or not. I'm mm-hmm. just trying to trying to work on this on the fly here. Let's see if this is it. No. The second is Ibrahim. No, that's the same clip I just had. Mm. And what? I am I am going to just be so aggravated if I can't find this. So is this is this the one who was uh, was known to Belgian authorities and then released? And uh, ended up back in Turkey, mm-hmm. and the and Erdogan and the administration essentially told because he was on the Interpol's most wanted list, and they sent him back, and the Belgian police essentially let him go again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> again, this is, it's just so laughable at this point. I don't even I don't even know how to discuss it with any amount of seriousness. Uh, two Turkish journalists have gone on trial behind closed doors. Uh, no, 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 that's not it. That's the Turkish journalist stuff. Oh, this is going to drive me absolutely crazy. Uh, mm. All right, well, I'm gonna we're gonna jump to a different segment. I'm gonna try to find this, and if I find it, I'm gonna be so excited. But um, here we go. Uh, so while we're talking about Brussels and all these impacts. What I was what I was really interested in is the what seems like the shift and this is kind of following your bouncing ball of logic, the, the moving of of Turkey, of the drug game out of Turkey and into different parts of the world. Uh, I think that Mexico is the next target for the drug game. And I think that that's why the open border push is so big. I, I know that they were talking about uh, legalizing um, legalizing uh, almost everything, or at least decriminalizing down there, which would be great because then you could manufacture at low prices but still keep it illegal here and ship it across the border. And if you had a very porous border, now you don't have a lot of you know hoopla to deal with. But um, I I don't know. I find it very very odd to see the way that that Turkey it looks like. Erdogan is, um, and after rereading *Tragedy and Hope*, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting uh, listening to No Agenda and Adam Curry's thesis is that he's trying to, to rebuild the Ottoman Empire, and it, from all intensive purposes, that, it looks like a pretty plausible thesis, and you know we're seeing the scrap over, um, we're seeing the scrap over Crimea, we're seeing the scrap over. Um, just the the hallmark um, pushback between the Turks and the Russian Empire when when the Turks were the Ottoman Empire. I just found it very fascinating that these things seem to be coming together, and these areas seem to be always the always the the powder keg for anything that could happen uh, internationally between those two giant entities. And and the fact that Turkey Turkey is so heavily embedded. In in our educational system, with um, what's his name, the guy that owns all the um, the charter schools, uh, Fethullah Gulen. Yeah, it just yeah. it just seems like that well, we're in bed with Fet- a lot of bad actors at this point. Well, <laughs> that, and it's such a confusing scenario because uh, you know Erdogan has long since been viewed as a Western puppet in Turkey, and uh, so but so has Fet. I mean, the guy is almost provably a CIA agent at this point. And for the longest time, it was uh, that NATO had aspirations to overthrow um, uh, the Erdogan regime in favor of Fethullah Gulen. Uh, but uh, somewhere along the way, he ended up running a bunch of charter schools in Texas instead. <laughs> it's a very confusing story, but it is at, at the heart of Gladio B, which is in itself a, a weird tale. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the topic of Mexican drug production and the porous border... Uh, I agree and disagree. Uh, so the recreation of some sort of Ottoman Empire certainly is in line with uh, the Brzezinski Doctrine mm-hmm. and containing the naval ports of Russia and yep. increasing surrounding. Yep. But, you know, the CIA wrote, I think it was in 2013, had a policy paper, which is why I feel like at least I've written about this or we've talked about this on this show before. But in 2013, the CIA said... Uh, well, we don't know what's happening, but all of a sudden, southern Mexico and Central America are growing all this heroin. What's going on? Mm-hmm. And, of course, they act so befuddled by this situation. Because traditionally, you know, southern Mexico has never been used to grow heroin. 
Heroin was almost the exclusive dona- domain of the Golden Triangle and uh, mm-hmm. and you know that those at uh, that area, the Central Asian Caucasus, yep. where it's traditionally grown now. Coca has always been the plant of coca and and uh, sweet sweet Mary Jane mm-hmm. uh, has always been the domain of Central and South America. So the fact that these crops are just these these Mexican farmers are just these cartels are all of a sudden just happen to be switching to opium, and the CIA is the first to learn about it and is very curious about this. Uh, as I've written about on my site, we have simultaneously to the shutting down of Turkey as a major drug port because people need to realize Turkey is not a center for drug production per se. It's a center for refining. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of the heroin that's grown in northern Afghanistan t- today, or has been over the past 10 years, right. has been refined in Turkey. And uh, before uh, we got in there, it was actually it was refined on site by the Russian mafia back in the 80s and the 70s. Um, but trying to tie a nice little bow on all of this, as opposed to routing a lot of those, that Central Asian uh, and, go- and even Golden Triangle product through Turkey... They're now routing a lot of it through Ghana, um, and the uh, that that area of the the Gulf of Guinea, uh, traditionally that has been trafficked through South Amer- Central and South America as well. Mm-hmm. So it goes from the Gulf of Guinea in Africa, in northern Africa, and then heads over the Atlantic Ocean into South South and Central America, where it then comes up into the United States proper. Uh, that's how it worked. Back in the 50s and 60s when the CIA was running their Lucky Luciano trade with the Gladio A boys. Yep. And that's how it's working today, except they're shifting from Turkey to this area in Africa. The point, the part where I disagree somewhat with your and Adam Curry's thesis, I guess, is the porous border stuff and it tying in with the political charade that's going on in North America today, or just the United States, I suppose. Tradi- these drugs are almost always, at least at the highly endorsed level, are mm-hmm. coming in on air and boat. Okay. Well, then that would so, that would negate that theory, then, because <laughs> and, and most and sometimes it's uh, on military aircraft as well. So exactly I mean, that just, exactly. that skirts so the, the whole border thesis. And, the idea that yeah, the idea that it's our poorest border, they're going to start tunneling under. It's I think a little bit ridiculous. I just think it makes it easy if you have a means of production um, that's uh, where it's legalized. That's you know right there. Uh, so, well, Jake, how did the opium war work? Yeah, that's exactly how it worked. I, I yeah, <laughs> it was legal in Great Britain. It yeah. wasn't in China. Yeah. It was kind of legal in India because they were a colony, so yeah. they played the neo mercantile trade system. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's same shit, different day. Excuse my French, millennial coin. <laughs> oh, first one, we've got it. There we go. All right, so I think I found it. If this isn't it, I'm going to I'm going to lose it. It's increasingly clear tonight to US authorities that the deadly terror attack this week in Brussels and last November in Paris were the work of one interconnected ISIS cell based in Belgium, made up of at least 16 terror recruits, mostly European. 13 of them now dead, one under arrest, and two still being sought. It's got more moving parts. It's got people attacking in different ways. Uh, it's a more resilient kind of terror cell, I think. The culmination of more than a year of careful planning by ISIS Central Command in Syria that allowed the cell to avoid detection for so long. They do train their people in the fundamentals uh, of being a spy, of being a terrorist cell, fundamentals of secure communication. Among those of documented ties to both Paris and Brussels is that suspected bomb maker, 24-year-old Najim Lashraoui, whose remains were discovered today in the rubble of the Brussels airport. Authorities say they have found his DNA and fingerprints at bomb factories that produced explosives for both Paris and Brussels. And David, officials tell us that even... Still not it. Uh, it's still a good clip, though. It's still not the one I'm looking for, but I think that's the I, show that it came from. I'm pretty sure I know the clip that you're referring to, the one where the I think it was from Democracy Now, where the guy is talking about how there are friends of the terrorists yes, that yes. aren't necessary. They're kind. They're like they're just they're connected from childhood, yeah. and mm-hmm. they're not necessarily radicalized. They're just caught up in it. Oh, and but the, it's they're, they're the handlers. And the, no, it, 
the no agenda thesis is that they're the handlers. I don't know if you can say that cohesively, but it that is certainly a curious area that it seems strange that these guys just squirrel away at the last minute. <laughs> hey man, I just made a I made a ninja move and got away from the cops as everybody else was mm. getting arrested. Sure. All right, well, I'm going to find that and I'll insert it uh into the uh post show so you guys can hear it. It'll be in post. So there we go. Oh man, that's that's disappointing. I had the wrong clip. I thought it was the right clip. Whatever. All right, so now mm. let's move into uh, something that I think is is very fascinating, and this whole thesis of elections. So we will spend five minutes again on this, just to get everybody up to speed. Um, so I could not find the Rand Paul clip that we talked about. Uh, I couldn't find it on YouTube anywhere. Uh, I don't know if it got oh, taken no. down. Yeah, I don't know if it got taken down or what, but I couldn't find it. So I'll, I'll get it for you next time. Please do. So here's what I do want to start with. And this facade, um, and if you guys want to understand where I really stand on this issue, not that you're not going to find out here in the next couple of minutes, but uh, go read my post on my website, wearenotcattle.net. It should be the last post, uh, why I'm not voting. And here is why I'm not voting. This idea that uh, we live in a republic and an idea that your vote actually matters. So uh, let's hear it from the talking heads themselves and the heads of the um, the conventioneers, if you will. The um, One of the lead uh, D-bags for the uh, Republican Party. Here we go. Okay, I understand that these are the rules and that there's all kinds of crazy arcane rules. Uh, well, rules that we can change on the fly depending on who's leading in the polls. But, yeah, whatever. Rules that could be voted on between now and then. But, Curly, let me ask you. If Donald Trump heads into the nomination, maybe he's short of the 1237 required, if you give it to someone who has a much lesser percentage of the voters who have actually turned out from these primaries, don't you worry that you are going to just send chaos and anger into the Trump supporters, into the people who feel like their votes don't matter? Chaos and anger! No, I don't think that's the case once it's, it, you know, if it would just be understood. We have a problem with the media. <laughs> Unfortunately, the cable networks are trying I, I, to determine I don't, think, I don't think this is a problem with the media. I've heard from a lot of voters <laughs> who say if they feel like their votes got stolen, that they would be very unhappy and very angry. I, I think you're looking at a different situation. I realize these have been the rules, but the last time these rules were put in place was 1976. It's been a long time since then. Yeah, they're still there. Yeah, that's a problem. The, the, uh, the media has created the perception that the voters will decide the nomination, and that's the concept. That's the conflict here. <laughs> we we feel like we is, live in a democratic society. What you're telling me is it's not a democratic society, and your votes don't necessarily matter because it's a democratic representation. Correct? No, that's not what I'm trying to tell you. What I'm trying to say is that there's a, we're just one of the political parties. There's many political parties, but political parties choose their nominee, not the general public. Uh, contrary to popular belief. Then why <laughs> Again, bother holding the primaries? That's a very good question. Look, I look, oh. oh, that's a very good question. Um, yeah, you guys are scamming the public, and you've been doing it for quite some time, and now, guess what? Oh, look at that. Hey, your vote really doesn't matter. I've tried to explain this multiple times on multiple occasions. Anytime that anybody says, oh, no, but you got to go vote, Josh. You have to. Uh, what was what was the uh, question that <laughs> that I posed at the very beginning of the article? Can you explain to me the delegate process? And then watch their eyes cross, or what? And then they will usually dismiss it with some kind of you know flippant remark. And oh well, yeah, well, I, you know, you, just, you could at least you could at least ask them to explain it in their state and see if they're qualified to do that. <laughs> Probably not. Probably oh. not. So let's uh, let's stay on. The election. Here we go. Uh, as it gets more and more interesting, and I've got a uh, I've got a sabotage clip for Josh. So this is going to be great. I haven't told him anything about this, but the absolute best segment I've ever seen in my life on sixty minutes. And it'll probably take up the last half of the show. It's a three minute clip, but it'll take up the last half of the show. So the overarching theme and question here, guys, is who's going to win? Who's going to win all this stuff? Well, let's have the let's have the old our old boy Donald Trump talk about who he would have support him for the um, foreign policy uh, when it comes to uh, who he would choose to head up his um, his cabinet. And where did this clip go? 
What? What is going on, Josh? We're having clip issues here. This is not good. Oh, uh, no, no, no. No, this is really not good. Um, I'm not seeing it anywhere. This is my Donald Trump clip. How did I not how do I not have it? Did you did you just imagine yourself clipping all of this stuff I, earlier? I guess I did. Did I put it in a folder that I don't know about? Wait, is this it? Oh, here we go. Mr. Trump, you've repeatedly deflected calls for specific national security or defense policy plans with the claim that you'll ask the best people when you become president and take their advice. So who are the best people? Can you reveal two or three names that you trust for national security? I think Richard Haas is excellent. I have a lot of respect for him. I th okay, so that's all we need to hear from that clip. Richard Haas. Once again, we went over this last show, but in case you're new to the broadcast, Richard Haas is the president of the Council on Foreign Relations. So, moving back in time, Josh, I wish we had a... Um, I guess we could use this as a... Uh, this could be our time travel. Everybody get on your uh, imaginary 64-bit um, horse and come with us. Okay, so we are now back in 2008, and we are talking about Hillary Clinton. <laughs> Seems Speak more like 1648. <laughs> Here we go. Oh, that was... I missed that one. Well done. Well done. I can actually give you one of yours. There you go. <laughs> All right, so this is 2008. Hillary Clinton giving a speech at the CFR... And I think it's notable, Josh, to um, see who she recognizes within the first couple seconds. This is fantastic, everybody. Uh, once again, the duopoly party, um, you are not in control, and the global technocrats are, and good luck to you. Oh, thank you very much, um, Richard, and I am delighted to be here in these new headquarters. Oh, did you hear that, Josh? Did you hear who introduced her? Do I need to rewind that? Oh. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Richard. Here, we're going to Thank you, Richard. It. Yeah, everybody pay attention. This is Richard Haas. Yeah, boy. Oh, thank you very much, um, Richard, and I am delighted to be here in these new headquarters. Um, I have been often to, uh, I guess, the mothership in New York City, uh, but it's good to have an outpost of the council right here down the street from the State Department. Uh, we get a lot of advice from the council, so this will mean I won't have this far to go to uh, be told uh, what we should be doing and uh, how... Uh, nope. Not given advice. Be told of what we should be doing. We should uh, think about the future. I mean, Richard just uh, gave what could be uh, described as a, a mini version uh, of my remarks in talking about uh, the issues that confront us. But I look out at uh, this audience filled with uh, not only many friends and colleagues, uh, but people who have served in prior administrations. And so there is never a time when the inbox is not full. Um, you know, shortly um, before I started at the State Department, a former Secretary of State uh, called me with this advice, don't try to do too much. And it seemed like a wise admonition if only it were possible. But the international agenda today is unforgiving. Two wars, conflict in the Middle East, ongoing threats of violent extremism and nuclear proliferation, Here comes. recession, climate change, hunger and disease, and a widening gap between the rich and the poor. Thanks, Obama. All right. So, guys, uh, it doesn't get much more plain than that. This is as she was um, moving into her role as Secretary of State. Actually, I think she was already knee-deep in it. And, um, yeah, basically telling you guys how it, how all the game plan works. You know, I get my marching orders from these guys right down here. So what do you what do you have to say to that, Josh? More, more of the same, I take it. Yeah, the, the Trump phenomenon just is always surprises me because I understand why people uh, how the populist rhetoric is appealing to people and I understand how some of the stance on trade deals even though none of you can't do anything about GAP or around or NAFTA or CAFTA or the TP you can't do anything about them at this point aside from levy insane tariffs and the second you know the American people learn they have to pay 30 to 50 percent more for their cheap shit on Amazon they're they'd be riding in the streets 
<laughs> so, uh, the, I, from that perspective, I understand how people would think that Donald Trump is uh, an anti-globalist to a certain extent. Um, but not only am I against the fundamental perception that to be an anti-globalist means that you have to be a nationalist. Yes. I think that's, I think that's a bit of a contrived position. Uh, there's a logical fallacy in there somewhere, but I'm forgetting the Latin term at the, term at the moment. Um, oh, I'm sure but, we can find one. But yeah, if you don't, if you don't take heed to the fact that Richard Haas is a dear friend of Donald Trump and he respects his position on foreign policy, that he meets with uh, you know former Bilderberg and Davos attendees as uh, as you know economic uh, policy advisors, or that he wants Bill Gates of uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation fame to to be consultants on creating the Great Firewall of America. Uh, the Richard Haas one to me is the most damning. Solely because it it it's truly signifies where you your understanding of what we face is at. If you can see the chains chain of abuses at the Council on Foreign Relations, leading all the way back through history in the Anglo-American establishment to its founding at at Chatham House and the RIAA in London, which is all the last will and testament of Cecil Rhodes, funded and financed by the Rothschilds. If you see that, then you know why an endorsement from the CFR is important. Yep. If, you don't, if you don't understand that history, and you're just fighting some amorphous thing that you call globalism, or yep. you think is bad, yep. or it's collectivism, and you're against it, you heard it on Glenn Beck, and you heard someone mention the Federal Reserve that one time, then yeah, you're not going to be an effective tool to fight globalism, because you don't know what it is. And this is just a litmus test. It's very sad to learn that a good portion of alternative media viewers and followers don't understand what they're up against, but you know, maybe this will be a learning experience for them. Oh, but I thought after 2008 and 2012 with Ron Paul, we had enough learning experiences, but well, here we are. Well, thank you so much for the, uh, the segue. Speaking of the alternative media, we're going to go into our new segment, everyone. This is our new segment. We're going to call this... We're going to call this Half-Truth, Disinfo, or Fear. Josh, this is of the Alex Jones Show, so I'm going to do one of these a week. What would you like? Would you like the Half-Truth, the Disinfo? Oh, we'll, we'll call it uh, Cognitive Dissonance. There we go. We'll do Cognitive Dissonance, Disinfo, or Fear. Which would you like? Well, you have to confuse me before you scare me, so cognitive dissonance first. All right, let's get the theme song ready. So this is the Alex Jones 3x3. Uh, three three. Here we go. I'm doing this on the fly, so we're going to see how this works out. Oh. That's right, everybody. It's time for the 3x3 of the Alex Jones Alternative Media Propaganda Stream. Here we go. So Josh would like, for his first one, he would like... What did you say again, Josh? Cognitive dissonance for 300. Josh would like cognitive dissonance for 300. Here we go. I am for decriminalization because I understand it just makes a police state puts young kids in prison, teaches them how to be criminals. But I don't want legalization because there's also another move to basically just turn everybody into drug addicts. So I don't like the drug culture. I don't like making it totally illegal because that puts too much money into it. I don't like running to a police checkpoint, you know, searching for drugs or whatever. Uh, you know, at the same time, I don't want drunk drivers, you know, driving around in both lanes of traffic. But I don't want to pull up to a checkpoint and just be breathalyzed, uh, you know, like it's Nazi Germany. So there's a balance there. The balance of what? You just hit four different topics and gave four different opinions, <laughs> and there is no thesis whatsoever. What Alex is saying is that he doesn't want high people driving around, but he wants to drive around loaded knowing that there are no DUI checkpoints. There we That's go. That's what I gathered from that statement. All right, so continuing, we're continuing here. All right, so Josh, what would you like your next one to be? Would you like it to be half truth or fear? That scared the shit out of me, Jake. All right, we're going for the. Uh, hold on a second. All 
going for the theater. And they are saying Donald Trump is Hitler. Donald Trump can't go to heaven. Donald Trump's so horrible. And all the fad-driven lottery ticket mentality people, they get up and they go, yeah, yeah. And they wave communist flags in front of Trump Tower, cussing at families as they go in, saying, the revolution's coming. We're going to kill all of you. We're going to shoot you. We're going to murder you. And it came out in court with the weatherman. There's a reason that I'm leaving all this in, Josh. You know why that is. Because he likes to build the precipice. He likes to build the emotional precipice. It's coming, guys. He's setting you up for it. The commies, they start out by yelling at you. And then he's going to give you some backstory about how the commies are bad. Here it comes. That they would sit around just with top PhDs talking about how they were going to put 50 million Americans in forced labor camps and kill half of us and just getting off on it. And then I've been around Democrats and other professors who I had no idea were communists who've come here before and they've uncloaked in front of me and said, we're going to murder and kill everybody. You better join us and look at all psychopathic. These cults <laughs> of filth, dangerous, evil people. They want to rape your wife. They want to stop your guts out in the forced labor camp. That's what they do. They want to hurt you. They want to dominate you. They don't want to grow fields of food. They don't want to fix cars. They don't want to build uh, houses. They don't want to build swimming pools. They don't want to send their kids to a good college. They hate everyone that's more successful than them. They hate good-looking families. They hate people who are informed. They hate people who are strong. They hate you because they're fallen, evil sacks of crap. <laughs> Listen to this. Listen to the very end, Josh, how he starts pounding on the table. Talk about the NLP coming out. This is why Alex Jones Always. is so dangerous, everybody. This And he a... bounces. Have you noticed the oh, bounce? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Alex yeah. Jones bounce. Yeah, hold on a second. Let me um I gotta turn you down just a hair. Alright, so here we go. Here's the end of it. So he's pounding on the desk and he is bouncing up and down. Strong. They hate you because they're falling. Dude. Evil Good job, Alex. All right, so we've only got one left. We got the half truth left. Are you ready for the half truth? Oh, lay it on me. All right, I'm ready for it. Half truth coming away. And that's what I'm getting at. These technocrats, these big tech companies, have been created by Intel, the CIA, NSA, and others. And they set up these corporate heads who are just fronts of these companies. Microsoft was set up by IBM. IBM is a OSS precursor. Yeah, there's your half-truth. I mean, this is in the literature. You just have to read <laughs> IBM and the Holocaust and other Pulitzer Prize-winning books to actually get deep into the meat of it. It's a shadow government. In fact, will you guys pull me the Boston Globe out of the stack yesterday where... Top government insider comes out and says, listen, there's a whole shadow government. Everything's run by foreign interest. We're in trouble. And this is an establishment guy that came out and said this. They knew this in the 60s, ladies and gentlemen. When books like shadow government were written. And so we're here telling you fact. Occasionally I get into esoteric things and, you know, say all I know is whoever's running this world is evil. It's like the devil out of the Bible. And who's the devil, a fallen angel of this planet, marooned here, oppressing mankind? So they had literally over 20 publications last week say, Jones says the devil's a space alien and, you know, is, wants to destroy mankind. I've said whether you're an atheist or whether you're a Christian or whether you're an agnostic, the elite believe they're going to become gods. That's what Ray Kurzweil says. They believe that they're merging with machines. They believe humanity's obsolete. It fits the Bible narrative to a T. So it's real, or they're copying it and manifesting it and making it real. That's what I said. Or, or Alex, could it be the fact that they're utilizing it as a method of mind control or predictive programming, or have a book that is written so generally that you can plug and play with any kind of apocalyptic or 
uh, like he said, esoteric agenda. And um, are we still waiting on the fifth blood moon, or has that come to pass yet? Or how 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 no, the, before the, Doomsday? The, how, how much time we got? The fifth blood moon is done, Jake. But that doesn't. We've got a solar eclipse coming up. The super shemitah is not done until oct- early October. And then after that, I'm sure it will be an ultra shemitah, and then there's just no hope left for mankind. Thank God. I'm, I've been waiting yeah. for this stuff to to be over. I'm tired of sitting on the fence and wondering when the apocalypse is going to happen. Yeah. So, thank you. I, I I don't even know how you can deal with the revelation crowd on a on an even somewhat sensible basis, solely because it's it's a text that's just so riddled with. Not only allusions to the time and to Nero as the Antichrist, but it's such nonsensical psychobabble and was a, amongst a canon of 79 other different revelations that were equally as important until they were cropped out at the Council of Nicaea. The IBM half-truth, though, is a classic one. Yeah, isn't it great? Because we, we actually discussed that on... Uh, on an episode that I'm going to upload, guys, we call it um, uh, Tales from the Pasture. And uh, it's when I will – and and look for this online because Josh doesn't follow sh- social media, everyone. So follow me at Twitter at WeAreNotCattle, the number one. And uh, sometimes I will actually just, without telling Josh, we'll record our conversations and, and air them over the live stream. So um, – it gives you a good insight at um, at what we talk about when we don't have a kind of cadence and and um, already have some talking points established because we will run down some rabbit trails. We did a, run down a couple of rabbit trails over there, but um, we're just normal people for the most part, but uh, we do have conversations <laughs> on a – For the most part. Well, norm, not normal TV head, but um, we, we just have concerns. We have um, – we have challenges that that we face ideologically, and and we discuss those a lot. And uh, we discussed one the other day about um, once again philosophical anarchism before being um, not as pragmatic when you're looking at state issues and issues that are directly going to impact you and your lifestyle. So um, we do have to take those things into consideration at least. So, of course. But I, I just am having trouble recalling, Jake, when IBM was created by the OSS or even worked with the OSS. No, no, no. It's just, again, fabrications. I mean, it was... Warning, warning, bullshit alert! Yeah, I think we can put one of those out. They can sound the, sound the alarm yeah. on that guy. All right. I mean, because the technology that he's referring to was created not by IBM, but by Herman Hollerith. Yeah, the Hollerith. And then machines. they... Then they licensed the technology to the Nazis at the same time that they licensed it to the IRS for social security mm-hmm. as a database tracking system. Again, that's insidious enough, especially now that they're building smart cities. You don't have to lie to people and tell them that the OSS created it or whatever he said. It's yeah. Just, mm. He just, there's so many, he just lies to you all day long, and he, uh, it, there's just the subtle stuff like that that bugs me, because then people will listen to this and think they're informed, and really they just have this kind of slew of ideas that are kind of correct, and this well, general anti-government sentiment, and then you can be driven to do anything, like put your efforts into a political campaign for Republican president, that well, doesn't matter. I don't give you one very often, but I'm going to give you one. That was perfect. That's the entire reason for the segment is that if you're listening to this and you have friends that are friends or fans of Alex Jones, please tune in. This will be a weekly segment that I will do because I have a very long commute. So I do listen to Alex Jones and I will go through and clip some of these pieces of the broadcast to show you just how dangerous the show can be. I mean, gosh, Josh, he almost had me voting. How scary is that? Almost for not voting. even something meaningful. I, dude, it's, I'll, listen. I'll be I'll be voting on two ballot referendums and writing in Donald Duck for everything else this November because those two ballot referendums are important to my life. Yeah, but I mean, you were about to go full on crazy town. No, was it? No, wasn't. Listen, um, I don't know if you heard this earlier, but this is a uh, I, I clipped my daughter, which she's already all over the internet, but uh, so. This is, yeah, well, that's thanks to Facebook posts and stuff. 
But uh, this is going to be our new. Uh, this is going to be our new congratulations. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! <laughs> I can't help it, man. I think it's too much. All right, Josh, are you, are you ready for the closer? We're saving all the best sure. for last. As we stumbled out of the, as we stumbled out of the gates like a, or as I stumbled out of the gates like a buffoon, thought I had all this stuff together. I had half of my clips on my, on my desktop, and then half of them in the right folder for the show. Um, well, hey, we have we have no time restrictions now, though, so it's not know, as if it matters. It? No, no British lady interrupting us with five minutes to go. Nine, ninety seconds. All right, so. This is how I know that the elite are a little bit nervous, Josh. 60 minutes, prime time, Sunday. I'm going to start this because I'm going to go get a, a bottle opener and open this uh, Stella that I've got here. And you, my friend, are going to get to enjoy the magic that is the propaganda of the mainstream media. Get ready, everyone. According to one recent estimate, the world is more than 2,000 billionaires. Many of them are being asked to give half of their fortunes to charity. The Giving Pledge was created by Bill Gates, his wife Melinda, and Warren Buffett. In a 60 Minutes interview, the founders say the super wealthy need to make a big commitment. The Gates have already committed to giving 95% of their wealth away. Warren Buffett, 99%. They say that kind of extreme giving is needed because the rich have been getting so much richer. Okay, so feel free to, you know, put your hand up and stop this and, and you know, we can sound the alarm whenever you feel need to. But, well, uh, I mean, I highly doubt that Warren Buffett and Bill Gates will be giving away 99% of their wealth. No, they but... are. They are. But remember, it's going to charity. They don't say tax-free foundations. Oh, the, the, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, sure. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> we have the scam. Everybody, continue with the charade. Remember, the elites love you. They're looking out for you. Tech innovations and rising global markets have produced vast fortunes not seen since the Industrial Revolution. So what does Warren Buffett say to convince today's billionaires to give their fortunes away? Incremental wealth, adding to the wealth they have now, has no real utility to them. But that wealth has incredible utility. Warning! Warning! Bullshit alert! Yeah, because having six billion as opposed to one doesn't get you anything else, right, Josh? Nobody can see you and shaking. To think, Nobody can see you shaking your head. Well, Warren Buffett is a disgusting cretin tool of the elite. I don't know if anyone is familiar if you followed the precious metals markets, about the at least the very interesting circumstantial evidence that Warren Buffett, who took a very large position in physical silver in the mid-90s, early 90s, at just historic lows, he, was, he sold all of his, supposedly was forced to liquidate all of his silver to cover a lawsuit in 2006, and the exact amount of silver in his portfolio ended up being the the Comex warehouse stock for iShares SLV, which is the digitally traded silver. So that's interesting in and of itself. But Warren's dad, Howard Buffett, was also one of the like Alan Greenspan was one of the staunchest proponents of of a gold and silver bimetallic standard. Uh, that an elected official could have. He was a congressman for decades. So it's very sad to see Warren running around in our modern age trying to coax billionaires into dumping their gold and giving it to his fake charity. But drink Coke, I guess. Cherry Coke. Isn't it Cherry Coke that he drinks all the time? Yeah. Pay attention. Other people. It, it can educate children. It can vaccinate children. It can. It, it can do. Ah, I forgot that part. I got to rewind that just a little bit, just to make sure everybody at home hears this. If you're playing the home game, this will be the most amount of coins I've probably ever given out. But that wealth has incredible utility to other people. It, it can educate children. It can vaccinate children. It can. It, it can do all kinds of things. There are others and people that I know say, "I want to give it to my children." That's what I want to do. What's wrong with that? I don't really think that, that as a society 
we want to confer blessings on generation after generation who contribute nothing to society simply because somebody in the far distant past happened to amass a great sum of wealth. Warning, warning, bullshit alert. Probably also will be the maximum number of alarms that we can set off during this. Oh, we're, uh, we're halfway through, Josh. How are we doing? I'm just, I'm still flabbergasted that uh, <laughs> Warren Buffett is complaining about generational wealth when he got his savings from his congressman political insider father who saved exclusively in gold. Hey, listen, man. Listen. For God's sake, strap yourself down! It's going to get deep in here, people. I mean, and now I'm just imagining that that gif of Warren Buffett playing the ukulele, talking about how he would much rather have productive farmland than sit around and fondle a gold cube all day. Mm-hmm. All right. This was in two. This is in 2010, Jake. Before gold's double price rise, after outperforming Berkshire Hathaway for ten years. Uh, we're we're all good, man. Here he comes, your your boy to save the day. So far, 115 billionaires have bought Buffett's argument and signed the giving pledge. Ages. They signed a pledge. Listen to that, Josh. What a scam. We signed it. We're pledging. Range from 27 to 98. Hey, delegates sign a pledge too. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yeah, Some inherited wealth, but most are self-made. Their businesses range from technology and social media to pizza, hair care, and home improvement. Combined pledges so far, over a half a trillion dollars. What conditions are there? I mean, can they say, yes, I'm with you, I'm here, but I want to give it to this institution or that institution? You don't care what institution you give it to. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, in fact, we're Zero. not endorsing any flavor of flan. Oh, there's your boy, Bill Gates, by the way, who was also involved in this. Bill and Melinda Gates. We do think we're all going to be smarter and do it better uh, learning from each other. But there's no pooling of money, and uh, we celebrate the diversity of philanthropy. What's interesting about this list of... of the diversity of philanthropy? Include... like that, right? What does that even mean? Uh, also, if you close your eyes and imagine Kermit the Frog when Bill Gates is talking, it's really funny. A lot of people we know who are very famous, I mean, George Lucas and Michael Bloomberg and many others. Uh, and it's spreading around the world. Uh, and the net worth of, of all these people. See, Josh, the billionaires are actually here to save us. People and their commitment to give half of their money, a minimum of half, uh, is growing. And it's extraordinary in terms of its power. And where is it making real change already, some of the, the, the where they've given money to? Well, Bill Gates is a perfect example. I mean, the fact that he is doing what he's doing in global health. A lot of other people in terms of health, in terms of, of uh, social entrepreneurship, a whole range of issues that impact on people. So Social entrepreneurship. That's a good one. I like that one. You get a millennial. That's a new age term. You get a millennial coin for that one, Charlie Rose. I think the piece will be helpful. More people that will see it will think, you know, I'm going to do that. Well, they hope to do that. That's the yeah. idea. Get it beyond billionaires. Mm-hmm. You can see this interview with Warren Buffett, Bill and Melinda Gates and other billionaires involved in the Giving Pledge at 60 Minutes Sunday. Here on CBS. Yeah, that was the uh, edited version, but if I played the entire version, it would have taken up about seven minutes. But you got the gist of it right there. So well, I, Warren I Buffett is here to, to save that, everyone. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that Bill Gates is the John D. Rockefeller of our of this generation of capitalists in that, or this generation of crony capitalists, in that John D. Rockefeller was the first of the American you know, millionaires at the time uh, to create a nonprofit foundation that would serve as his kind of immortal tomb to himself. And through that, through that promotion of that foundation and its pseudo successes in things like allopathic medicine, uh, he kind of convinced other people to do the same. So it seems now that the Bill Melinda Gates Foundation has what, 15, 20 years under its belt. He's now going out with his buddy Warren and promoting it to all of his other bajillionaire friends, just like Rockefeller did, so they can talk about redistributing wealth that they're never going to redistribute and shooting up uh, little brown people in Africa with thimerosal. See, that that was the whole... Well, they eat their golden rice. (laughs) Well, that that was the whole beauty 
of what I saw in the piece is that it was just I sat there and my wife is in you know Stephanie and she's like what do you do I'm like shh I'm like this is unbelievable she's like what are you talking about I'm like this is a commercial for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation brought to you by 60 Minutes and Warren Buffett hey remember because they never specify that they were going to give it to any charity that provides aid they just said we don't care we don't care what charity you give it to. Just give. So basically telling the billionaires, hey, don't keep this money laying around. Make sure you hide it because people are starting to get wise to the game and we need to start looking like we're philanthropists instead of um, people that don't want to lose our generational wealth. Because yeah, that's what you want to do, Josh. You want to you create – you want to you amass this great amount of wealth and then just give it all away so your kids have nothing. That's what you want to yeah. do. Well, hey, I, I hear there's there's an earthquake in Haiti a few years back. Why don't you send your money there and help the people with cholera living in tents? I thought the Clintons were doing that. Aren't they taking care of uh-huh. it? Yeah, uh-huh. I'm, I'm sure they'll be right on that. Yep. That would it's have been very like... dangerous, citizen. Next time, ask first. That's right. Next time, ask it's... before you start doing it's... anything. It's just amazing to me, Jake, to see history repeating itself in this way, and uh, and not having no one question it. Because even if you are, are, you know, just going through regular old American high school, they still, at least presumably, you know, when I went through it, it's been shit almost a decade now. But <laughs> at least, at least they they taught the the nature of the philanthropic switch from industrial crony capitalism to these foundations. They sold it as a good thing in these textbooks. They said, oh, look at these horrendously evil men who just decided to become philanthropists all at the last moment, and that's why they're not a problem anymore, because now they're helping humanity. <laughs> it's, it's completely the wrong context. It's, so con- it's, it's, it's context so thin it can barely be called context. But at least people have heard about that. Right. So when you hear a native ad for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation on 60 Minutes... That's what, that's what it that, was. Absolutely. You'd think that people would have the wherewithal to at least see that this is history replaying itself, but we don't even have that, let alone to be able to identify the dangers of what's being advertised to them. That was... Um, Very scary. So do I... Can I give myself a coin for that catch? Oh, absolutely. That was a great clip. My boy Charlie always representing. Uh, dude, I, I, I mean, every all the stars aligned in my brain. I'm like, Warren Buffett, what's he talking about on 60 Minutes? And then I'm like, he's getting interviewed by Charlie Rose. I'm like, oh, this is great. I'm like, I got to watch this. And then it's Bill and Melinda sitting next to him in the first cut in the A block. It's Bill and Melinda and then Warren talking about how they're just doing all this stuff together. And they're just giving all their money away. It's just fantastic. We're giving it all away. Well, of course. Of just course. Giving it away. We got so and, and, much. It has no utility for us, Josh. It doesn't do anything. The money has well, no velocity. And that's not even getting into the fact that all of this, you know, public broadcasting, oh, PBS, 60 Minutes, uh, News Hour, so objective. I mean, it's not even discussing the fact that most of their funding comes from nonprofits and foundation donations. One of which is the Coca-Cola Foundation, is one of PBS's biggest supporters. And, and here they have on Warren Buffett to advertise his, his other friend's foundation, which is also a major financial supporter to the network. It's just, it, it, I will give you, if you watch NewsHour or you watch Bill O'Reilly, and that's how you invest your one hour a night of news, the person who watches NewsHour is, gonna, is doubtlessly going to be more informed, but only marginally. <laughs> It's not much better if the Koch brothers finance your network, who are also major donors to PBS. I mean, it's the same group of people who are donors to all these media organizations. And it's it, again, it's laughable that people think that the coverage is any any different on these networks. No, fundamentally, it's, at least it's really not. Well, I think that that's a. Um, do you want to you want to talk about your your clip, or do you want to save that for the next show? Oh, we can save that because I, I pulled it up, but I didn't actually clip it. I want to argue about intellectual property with you for the rest of the night, though. Yeah, well, we can do that offline. Then we might record that and bring it on. I I only <laughs> I, I have some skin in the game on that one, so I have a different uh, point of view. So, 
Anyway, well, that's going to do it for the show, well, everybody. So do, so do I. It's just a different model. Yeah, I guess so. I, I well, I, I see your point, and and we'll just have to. Well, I just I got to finish this Stella before we can really start debating on it. Uh, <laughs> well that's going to do it for the show everyone thanks uh, for listening if you're listening on the live stream um, if you're listening on blog talk radio I probably should have plugged this like 10 or 15 times um, this is the last blog talk radio stream that will ever happen so I'm canceling my account as of uh, Monday and I will be shifting all of my content to my website and I'm going over uh, to get some high speed internet over at my parents house tomorrow to rip all my old files and then start uploading them to archive.org. So you will be able to go to archive.org and listen to all the old podcasts uh, for the We Are Not Cattle show. And um, that's going to do it, everybody. We are done with um, utilizing somebody else for our product. So now we are doing post-production, pre-production, streaming, everything done in-house. I'm going to be making some revamps to the website. So... All good things, everyone. All good things. Thanks for bearing with us in these uh, these bumpy times over the last couple of weeks. But um, we're going to get in a groove here relatively soon. And uh, I just got to say one last thing. Thanks, Obama. That's it, everybody. Thanks for uh, tuning in. Remember, share the show with people you love, people you know, people you like. Get a friend, get informed, get involved, and help people rise above the rhetoric. Because with pieces like that on 60 Minutes... Lord knows we need it. Peace, love, and liberty, everybody.